Welcome to another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church. Lord, I just pray right now for your Holy Spirit's presence, making Jesus so real in every heart tonight. And Lord, we just picture ourselves sitting in that favorite chair in the media room or in our coffee chair or our listening chair or our one that looks out on the bush or the garden. I just thank you right now for drawing close to everyone's hearts, Father. Lord, I just pray that distractions would be removed. The sound and noise of this week will be removed. The sound of our minds just trying to think about this week and what's going to happen. I pray for the next 30 minutes. Lord, we'll be sitting at your feet. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take our seats and I want you just to think about that as I share about when Jesus walks in a room. When Jesus was physically here on earth, what would have been like to be Mary or Martha or Lazarus or one of the disciples that had moments where they had a barbecue with Jesus, they had breakfast on the beach, they had some amazing feasts, What would it have been like to have Jesus, to personally ask all the questions that you wanted answers for, to discuss the miracles that had just happened and think, wow, how did that happen, Jesus? To ask him how to process your fears or questions. What would it have been like to go for a walk with Jesus or to go fishing with him? They were always pretty eventful trips fishing with Jesus. It was either a storm or a huge catch of something. Luke ten thirty eight, it says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Wow, that's like opening your heart, isn't it? She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and, and asked, Lord... Don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Sounds like a bit of sibling rivalry going on there. Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, Jesus was probably hungry. She wasn't against Martha giving food, but I think Martha was sort of excited to have Jesus, and she was preparing a five-course banquet when Jesus just needed a cup of tea and a sandwich. So excited. Whoa, Jesus is here. Let's get the feasts happening. But in the process, she missed out on hearing and connecting with Jesus' heart because she was so busy doing. And sometimes we get like that, just serving him in our lives. Then in John 11, here's another amazing story that has the same characters in it. So we have Jesus at a meal. Now we have Jesus traveling to their home. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. So now he's he's sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. 
Wow, so that's another story. So I'm looking at three stories tonight of how Jesus impacted people's lives. And I love these stories. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. It's really important to know that he really loved them. Now, probably apart from the disciples, these were some of his closest friends on earth. Remember, he was now 33 years old, started his ministry at 30, and this was in the last uh, months of his earthly ministry. So he's 33 years old. It's good to have friends. We're not meant to do life on our own. I've been sharing a series in the morning services on friendships and some of the things that tear and destroy friendships of unforgiveness and offences and unrealistic expectations. And I've done a series the last few weeks and you can get that on our uh, website. You can get podcasts and listen to those or you can order a CD down the back there. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Well, what sort of a friend is this? His good friend's sick and he stays for two more days. Obviously busy, praying for the sick, uh, preaching, doing all sorts of things. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back. The poor old disciples could never quite work out some of the things Jesus did. They didn't make sense to the natural mind, but it was definitely not boring, that's for sure. And today, when you walk with Jesus, it's never boring because he's the giver of life. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they will see, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. And they probably think, what on earth are you on about, Jesus? After he'd said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. Well, Jesus really played games with them sometimes. He's talking in the spirit realm and the heavenly realm, and they're thinking natural realm, and they're just trying to get their head. Sometimes they ask questions. Other times I said, no, we won't ask that one. Last time we asked that, we really got <laughs> told what was really going on. So sometimes they just sat and thinking, they're looking at each other saying, Peter, you, you ask the question. You're the, you're the one that is game to ask. We're, not, we're too scared. But anyway, they didn't say anything more. And um, the disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad. Now, just remember the earlier story. He said, Lazarus won't be dead. And now he says he is. And remember, Jesus hasn't gone there. He knows by the Holy Spirit what's happening down the next town. So don't forget, God knows all that's going on with you, whether you think he does or not. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let's go to him. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Wow, what a wet blanket. You all need a Thomas in the crowd, hey? Thank God that Thomas eventually, after Jesus rose from the dead, said, I don't believe unless I can actually see your resurrected body and I can put... My finger in the nail prints in your hands. Well, he really wanted to see. 
Thomas was a doubter. He struggled. He, unless he had the evidence all lined up, he, he struggled to believe in Jesus. But boy, when he did believe, he was the one who jumped on a boat and went all the way across the Indian Ocean to India and preached the gospel. And now there's tens of millions of Indians that are followers of Jesus. I've been to India and there's many churches in the southern four states that trace their roots right back to Thomas going and preaching to them in 50 and 60 AD. So it's okay if you take a while to get there. The key is you get there. So you were singing that song passionately. I believe we're all going for it tonight when the band was cranking and you're all singing. Some of us take a while to get to that full belief. But it's okay. We're on a journey and Jesus will take us one step at a time. And so here's Jesus. Got him really stretched. And Thomas is saying, wow, well, let's all go. We'll all die anyway. Mate, what a guy to have on your team. But Jesus let him stay on the team because he knew what he was going to become. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. It wasn't far away. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Wow, she'd been around and seen him raise a few people from the dead already. So she had faith that Jesus could do it. So there was faith happening. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Wow, that's a great scripture. And he can bring resurrection life to your dreams to brokenness in our lives and thank God he's the one who brings death to life the one who believes in me will live even though they die and whoever lives by believing in me will never die do you believe this yes Lord she replied I believe that you are the Messiah the Son of God who is to come into the world after she had said this she went back and called her sister Mary aside the teacher's here she said and is asking for you when Mary heard this, she got, got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews had, who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was coming, going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Well, can you, you feel the grief, the pain, saying, Jesus, I know you loved him as much as you loved us, but, and we sent word, but you didn't come. And there's a cry within her heart saying, Jesus, I'm sad, I'm sorrowful, but why didn't you come? Sometimes we have questions where we say, Jesus, why didn't you show up when I prayed and asked for your help? Why didn't you show up and sort out that situation? Why didn't you show up and bring healing when I asked you? Why didn't you give me an answer for the fears and the pain in our life? Why didn't you show up when I needed you to? We've all asked that question of Jesus sometimes. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Now, this word is a very powerful word. It was like his spirit 
was feeling their pain out of compassion, but his spirit was also moved with faith and anger at the spirit of death and at the destruction that had taken his friend and the death that was destroying the people around. Something started to stir in the Son of God. The Son of Man, the Holy Spirit started to stir him within and he was moved with compassion, but there was a a fire and a fight within his life of authority saying, I'm going to sort this out. And that's the same Jesus that you and I serve. He's got authority to break through. And sometimes he wants us to arise with that authority and know that you don't have to lie down and just let all the stuff that's destroying your family or our community, we need to let that stirring, it says he was deeply troubled or stirred in his soul. And that's what started to happen here. Where have, you been, where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. doesn't say how long he wept. I'm sure it wasn't a 30-second cry and he wiped his eyes and then took off. He, he, he wept. He was so, so impacted. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from, from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour for he's been there four days. Now you've got to understand, the Jewish people, they believed in an afterlife and they believed that after a person died for three days, the spirit or soul of that person sort of hung around and then at the end of the third day, that spirit or soul went to its resting place. So Jesus deliberately waited to the fourth day so that there was no natural explanation to explain when Lazarus came back to life. He knew that's what they believed. So he waited four days so that they all knew this was a miracle and the supernatural resurrection of power of God being revealed when he raised Lazarus from the dead. God knows a lot more about us and our fears and what goes on than we sometimes give him credit for. And there are sometimes very good reasons why we think we don't understand why there's a delay or a time period or a process for the transformation of God to come. And then he said, take away the stone. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. It's really interesting that Jesus could have rolled the stone away. He could have just pointed at it. He could have called down a couple of angels, that, the angel that came and rolled the stone away from his tomb when he rose from the dead, but he asked them to roll the stone away. I think that's amazing because God can do so many things, but how often does he use you and I as part of the miracle? We say, God, do it. Lord, provide for that poor family down the street. And God says, I will, but I'm going to use you to do it. We just want him to send it. Lord, raise him from the dead. 
I will, but I'm going to get you to be a part of the process. How awesome is that? Sometimes I think we miss out on some of the amazing works of God because we don't all hear the Holy Spirit telling us what our part is, that prayer of faith. Sowing that seed like Troy did 10 years ago and then seeing the transformation 10 years later. Loving someone and, and, and not giving up on a consistent Christian life and eventually someone else gets it. Wow. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Wow, this is another demonstration of God's glory and power. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. I'm so glad he said, Lazarus, come out. Otherwise, every other dead body in the tombs would have come rumbling out of their tombs because when that voice spoke, life overcame death. Oh, and I want to tell you, you've got a power to bring life with his death in our communities. We've got a power to see stuff broken over our families and we just sort of cruise along and say, Jesus, please help me. He says, I will, but I want you to speak out with the authority and faith I've put within you. I want you to partner with me and do your part and you see what I'll do. But we sometimes just roll along hoping something might happen. <coughs> that word when it says Jesus was troubled, it's a, at one of the pictures or word pictures is of a stallion arising and charging to break through a barrier. Wow. So when Jesus was troubled, when he stood up with authority and called out, all of heaven backed him. And there was a strength and a fire in his life and words that pushed back death. And I believe God wants you and I to learn that in the name of Jesus, we have great authority and power. You can overcome every work of the enemy. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee to speak the name of Jesus, to have that authority of life within us. So he calls out, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Then Jesus says an amazing thing again. He says, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Hold on. Jesus, you just raised him from the dead. Surely... As he's coming out, you could easily have said, grave flows, be gone. He's done the hard part. And now he says, family and friends, I want you to help unwrap the grave clothes to set him free, to live fully. And that's exactly what God does with the family of God. People come in and get saved. People find Jesus. And then he says, I want you to help disciple them and teach them how to live in freedom. I want you to pray for them and help them be released from that spirit of darkness and strongholds of addiction over their lives. God says, I want you to help unwrap the grave clothes so that they can walk and run. And I want you to take off, it was around the head, I want you to take off the grave clothes around their eyes so they can start to see and live life fully themselves. How awesome is our Jesus? The same thing he does through you and I. He does the miracle he brings life out of death. He brings life and hope to a torn, broken, sin-filled life. 
And then he says, family of God, gather around and help them start to live in freedom. How awesome is that? I reckon if we can get the power of this message of what Jesus said, you will live with greater purpose and you will then say, wow, how awesome is it? As a parent, I'm helping my children grow into freedom. I'm helping people come to the freedom of Christ. Praying, pastoral care, Holy Spirit ministry, discipling, coaching, mentoring. You're doing what Jesus said. Take the grave clothes off and let them run. Let them live. Let them see. I thought this is just a powerful, powerful story. And if you go over to uh, John chapter 12, verse 1, we see the next part of the most amazing story. Jesus, six days for the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. He here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served, there she is still serving, but he didn't have a go at her this time. So she was, she, Jesus loves us to serve. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table. Okay, he's been raised from the dead. He's having a meal together. Grave clothes are off, he can function. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Wow, that's, that's what our love our worship, our praise, our deeds of kindness and service, it's like a fragrance that goes up to heaven and it touches everyone around us. How powerful is that? When you worship and someone new comes in and they're struggling with sin and pain and grief and they feel the love of Jesus flowing through your love and worship and service, all of a sudden they smell and feel something. Hey, this is safe. This is awesome. This is powerful. And says she... uh, But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Whoa. A bottle of perfume worth $50,000. That's expensive in our day's terms. And often a perfume like that was kept for a woman to be used on her wedding night. That says a whole lot too, doesn't it? She poured out her best to Jesus. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. Judas was thieving the money from the offering. As keeper of the money bag, he used to keep him, help himself to what was put into it. Uh-oh. Didn't have their accounting practices going too well back in those days. Workplace health and safety wasn't really in order back then. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. The poor guy, he's just been raised from the dead. Now they want to kill him again. That's funny but sad. He's been raised from the dead, probably only been alive again for a few days or a week. And now they want to kill him again because all the people are coming to see Lazarus because he's been raised from the dead. And so more people are following Jesus. Not everyone's happy when a miracle happens. 
you just got to realize miracles are so exciting when God sets you free, transforms your life. I can't believe it, but some people get really jealous. Some get angry. Some get fired up by the works of darkness to try and close it down and slow you down and stop you. But hey, don't ever forget the life of Jesus is more powerful than any people's opinion from any scheme of the enemy to try and rob and steal from you because this is eternal life and this is powerful. So don't back off when you break into a new area of freedom. Don't back off when the enemy intimidates you and says, oh, this is just too much battle. This is too hard. I've met some people say, when I came to Jesus, my sins were given. And then for six months, it was all on warfare because the people didn't understand. And my old friends were trying to drag me back. And it was, was it worth it? Those who hang in and say, yes, 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 because you've got eternal life and you live in freedom. And they're watching you. And after six or 12 months, they say, whoa, this is real and this is continuing. But you can't give up. Don't ever go back. Don't run and hide. Don't be led astray by the lies of the enemy or other people's opinions. So they made plans to kill him. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going up to Jesus and believing in him. Just want to draw a few thoughts out of these amazing stories. Jesus' life and conversations. I wonder what he did. I think a lot of the people, his conversation would have been about adding value to do. Jesus listened to people. He was there serving people. Remember he came with the towel and washed their feet because no one else did it? He got breakfast and started cooking it before the guys even arrived with theirs from offshore. One of his fish tasted better than their fish. I'm not sure. Jesus was always loving people. When Jesus was in any sort of social context, do you know what his natural reaction was? To serve. When he met someone, his first thought was, how can I love and serve that person? He came into social settings thinking, how can I encourage other people here? Why? Because he was full of God's love and freedom and purpose. He didn't need anything from anyone. He came simply to add, to serve and to complete. His idea of working a room was not networking, and smooth talking and manipulating people for his own benefit, it was to make sure everyone walked out feeling better, thinking better, and honor and knowing God better than when they walked in. Jesus, the, the man you want as your friend. He wants to give to you, not take from you. He enjoys being with you because of who you are, not because of what you can do for him. Wow, this is true friendship. Jesus is not consumed with himself. You have probably met a few people who are truly secure. They have a sense of contentment in their lives. They know who they are. They are not concerned with comparison or competition, but they are at rest and at peace, and they continually add value to others. Maybe you're one of those people. Tell you what, I want to be one of them. I want to live like Jesus. Jesus always seemed to find creative ways to add value to people. You know the kind of person, no matter how bad the meal you just cooked, they find a way to compliment you. No matter how crazy your kids are behaving, they find a way to make you feel like amazing parents with amazing children. And it also have those sort of people around. Can you imagine what it would look like if all of us, families, friends and churches, all loved and lo- lived and loved and related from a place of inner fullness? I think it would look like heaven on earth. 
Wow, that's what Jesus. That's why everyone just wanted to hang out with Jesus, except for the religious people, because they were fake and hypocritical, and he challenged them. Everyone else wanted to hang out with him. In John 1.16, it says, We have received from, his full, from him his fullness. How do you receive? We can't earn it. You don't deserve it. We can't develop it. We simply trust it, believe it, and receive it. Our mindset should be, God, I receive from you your fullness today. I find rest and contentment and peace in who you are through me. This is not a religious formula. We can receive Jesus' fullness to the point where we are emotionally, mentally, and spiritually complete and full. This deals with one of the greatest hurdles to relationships and friendships, which is insecurity. Wow, we all have some insecure parts to us. Most of us are confident in some areas, but then we get insecure. One of the areas I've always struggled with is in acting or drama. I've got no idea. I can get up and speak to anyone and preach to anyone and pray for anyone, but when I've got to be to act or be in a drama, I just lose confidence and I freeze inside. I got no. It's, it, I used to happen when I was at school. When drama was on, I used to hate drama. I'd try and get out of it. I'd try and be. I'd try and be late coming back from lunch, and I'd be helping the grounds and bring all the sports gear in for the next half hour. So I missed drama class. Some of you are laughing because you did the same thing, eh? Or some of you, it's music, or it might be artistic expression, or it might be public speaking, or it might be meeting new people. We've all got some areas where we are insecure but we've got some areas where we get more confident and secure because Jesus fills us and we listen to his voice instead of our own condemning voice and the people and comparing ourselves with others if we didn't have insecurity well we'd have an amazing heaven on earth but we're all on a journey of growing in confidence and dealing with insecurity insecurity is more than just an emotion it's a deep sense of incompleteness imperfection, deficiency, and lack. Wow, that's so true. And we all have it in some areas. Some of us just aren't good conversationalists. We've got areas. Me and technology are distant cousins. <laughs> when something breaks down, I ring Aaron. Because <laughs> I've got nowhere, no idea where to start trying to fix this thing up. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> And others often, when a car breaks, then we've got no idea where to start looking. And yet others are confident and, and equipped and skillful in all those areas. But God wants to deal with our insecurities. Insecurity can paralyze us relationally and socially, and it can isolate us. People can be all around us, yet we can feel profoundly alone because we think we don't measure up or aren't good enough. Wow. There is good news and bad news. The bad news is, you were right in your assessment. We don't measure up and we aren't good enough. But the good news is, Jesus is enough. He's more than enough. And when we learn to lean on Him and receive from Him, we will be enough as well. Oh, Jesus, help us to live with that understanding. Sometimes we think our personality types define our social skills, but that's not true. We all need friends. We all need community. When we find our security and completeness in Jesus, His fullness and presence transcends our personality types and help us become better friends, better spouses, better parents, better employees and better neighbours. 
In my journey, it's surprising how many people we meet, even in their 40s or 50s, who say they have hardly any good friends anymore. You would think it would be easy to make good friends after you've lived more life and got older and learnt better skills, but it's often harder because sometimes we get burnt, disillusioned, or we get manipulated and we, and we give up. We keep people at arm's length to protect ourselves. I've seen teenagers and people in their young adults in their 20s that keep everyone at a distance because you've been burnt and manipulated and used, so you keep everyone at, at what you think is a safe distance. But you end up be, being in a prison cell, lonely and afraid, and not having the joy of intimate friendships. And God wants to help heal that in our hearts. Some of you sit in that lounge chair right now, that's something you need to talk to Jesus about. Saying, Lord... Why do I pull back and keep people at a distance? Why am I afraid of commitment in relationships? God loves us and He wants to help us process this. Jesus wants to heal the hearts and remove the scar tissue. He wants to help us to relate socially the way He did, thinking of others and serving others. Often we find that we are most protected against hurt, not when we withdraw and isolate ourselves, but when we serve others with no strings attached. That's so precious. You're wrestling through stuff. Just start loving and helping and serving someone else and see what God will do in and through you. Jesus is the relationship that completes us. When we find true friendship in Him, it frees us to discover real relationships with fellow human beings on earth at a level we never thought possible. Jesus is the one who fills us and when we are full, we are free. Just close your eyes for a moment and we're, I hope you're still sitting in that favourite chair and just listening to the heartbeat of Jesus. I've just told a story tonight. I want you to think about those questions we talked about earlier. Jesus, what do you want to give to me tonight? What do you want to give to me as a free gift? Just ask him. Just ask him. For some of you, he's giving you an answer, but you're scared. You don't think you're good enough or worthy enough. It's not about that. He's the one offering the free gift. So Jesus, help me to receive it. It might be courage to overcome fear. It may be unconditional love that you've really struggled to receive. Oh, Jesus. Then another question he might ask you is, what are you willing to give me tonight what's he asking of you maybe surrender it may be trust it may be a part of your soul that you've kept locked up because you're too scared for anyone to know about it but tonight Jesus you're feeling safe you say Jesus okay I'm going to choose to give you that fear I'm going to choose to let it go.
I'm going to choose to put it in your hands because I've carried this way too long. And I've struggled in relationships. I've compared and manipulated and controlled and or I've hidden and blamed. And Lord, for some of you right now, an image of someone's coming to your mind that has either caused you pain or disappointment or it may be someone you've always wanted to be like but you never thought you could, a good person because you thought, well, that's just out of reach. And they, they love Jesus for many years and I'm just starting out in this journey. Oh, this is so precious. I can feel his love right now just melting some hearts. Just melting hearts. I see him smiling at you. I can see him pulling up his chair a bit closer. Because he wants the fragrance of his love to touch your soul. Oh, Jesus. You're a good, good father. That's who you are. That's who you are. And I'm loved by you. That's who I am. That's who I am. Maybe there's some sin or shame or secret sins that you've just really wrestled with or that just plagued you, tormented you. And in this holy moment, why don't you have a chat to Jesus about it and say, Lord, I don't want to live like this any longer. I really want to give it to you. Lord, help me to release it. Or help me to open the door of that part of my soul so you can come in and start to clean up that part of my mind or heart. Jesus. I just feel the Holy Spirit doing some heart surgery tonight. He's freeing some people and going to open up a doorway for a journey of freedom and faith that you never really know could be you could be yours. You're a good, good father. That's who I am. Just invite the worship team to come up. We're just going to just stay there seated in the rest of us in his presence. As we worship, I felt the Holy Spirit nudge me with something really special. Jesus was 33 when he died on the cross and rose again. I felt the Holy Spirit say, to invite all those that are 33 or younger to bring their lives and just take a moment in his holy presence tonight. I'm going to invite us all to stand. We're going to sing this song. You're a good, good father. I've heard a thousand stories. And as we do, I'm going to invite all those that are 33 or younger. If you're 34, don't feel like God's forgotten you. There's a moment we're going to pray for everyone. But if you're 33 or younger, I'm going to invite you to come and just join us at the altar, either to stand or kneel, and just bring your life as you are as a point of surrender. Just come as we start to sing that. And just come right up around the front, right up the front, right around. 
And just take a holy moment with God. I'm just going to invite you, if you're 33 or younger, just come. Stay tuned for another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church.